Let's get it going. It is time to begin my 2022 college football preview with my crystal ball of the top 25 things I think will or won't happen this upcoming season next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it. Yes, Clark. Hey, hey, they said you can't beat Ohio State. Now what? Brady gets terrific. Clemson and a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Colazar at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. On his way. It's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schindler. And here's your first play. Pressure coming. Second. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team. And when we play as a team and the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Go Blue! Welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. I am Steve Dace, and it is time to get it going. My annual college football preview. I've been doing this since I was in the 10th grade. And, well, I'm a long way past the 10th grade, but we are still doing it now. And one of the favorite parts of doing this every year is my crystal ball, predicting 25 things that I think will or won't happen in the upcoming season. Let us begin And then you can decide in our comments here on YouTube or on iTunes, et cetera, is that nuts? Is that crazy? You have a question, you have a comment or an insult. Looking forward to your feedback to this as we do each and every year. We begin with number one. For the first time ever, and maybe in a preview of what's to come in the future era of college football, all four bids to the college football playoff will come from just two conferences. The SEC and the Big Ten. First time it's ever happened, and I think it happens this year. Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama are the four teams invited, because it's not really a playoff, it's an invitational, invited to the college football playoff. That's never happened before. I think we see it happen this year. Number two, that also means that for the first time ever, two teams that did not win their own conference will receive bids to the college football playoff. In this case, I believe that's Ohio State 
and Georgia. They will each receive bids despite not winning their leagues because of their overall strength of schedule. They both have impressive non-conference wins. Georgia will defeat Oregon, uh, who I have in the Pac-12 championship game. Ohio State will defeat Notre Dame, who I have in a New Year's Six Bowl. And that will be enough, given the superiority of their leagues over, say, the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big 12, to put them into the playoff field. Number three, there will be no undefeated teams in all of the FBS this season. The SEC will be too tough and rugged for both Alabama and Georgia, who each, who each lost games last year. And I don't see a Cincinnati within the group of five as well. In fact, I, I think we're going to see something in the group of five we've never seen before, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Number four, three of the Power Five Conference Championship games will feature a head coach in his first year at the school. But it won't be that guy pictured. A little bait and switch for you there. I don't think it'll be Lincoln Riley now at USC. I think it'll be the program he left. I think it'll be Brett Venables at Oklahoma. I think it'll be Mario Cristobal at Miami. And I think it will be Dan Lanning, the new head coach at the University of Oregon. Those three first-year head coaches at their respective schools will find themselves in the conference championship games of their leagues in their very first seasons. Number five, after they each saw their FBS record conference championship streaks halted in 2021, both Oklahoma and Clemson will rebound to win their respective conferences in 2022. For Oklahoma, I think it's the addition of Dylan Gabriel. Best quarterback I think that will be in the Big 12 this year, and they're bringing in the best defensive coach in the Big 12 and Brett Venables. And for Clemson, it is maybe the most dominant unit in all of college football this year, Clemson's defensive front. Next, Cincinnati will go from being the first group of five team to make the college football playoff to not even making its own conference championship game. I think Houston and Central Florida will square off for the American Conference title. Cincinnati will still have a very good year, but I think it'll be probably in the nine or nine and three range. I, I just don't believe, first of all, it's if you if you know your Phil Steele's NFL draft hangover metric, it's hard for the top level schools to replace a record amount of NFL draftees. How hard is it for a group of five program? Cincinnati will never again have as many guys picked in an NFL draft as it just did, ever. Because we've never seen it before, so it's very unlikely we'll see it again. Rebounding from that in one year, especially when one of them is the greatest quarterback in school history, I, I just think that's maybe too much to ask. Next, number seven. Ryan Day will leave the Ohio State University after the season to take over for the retiring Andy Reid as head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs and inherit Pat Mahomes in his prime for the foreseeable future. And he will then be replaced by Cincinnati's Luke Fickle, former Ohio State star player, interim head coach. Looking forward to getting Mark Rogers, uh, our friend, the voice of college football and, uh, and of course, our friendly neighborhood Bucknut. Looking forward to getting his take on that one coming up here in the next segment. I'm sure in the comments section you'll have plenty to say about it too. Now, I mentioned before, I think we're going to see something in the group of five this year we've never seen before. Here it is, number eight. Air Force will become the first service academy team to qualify for a prestigious New Year's Six Bowl bid. I think they will win the Mountain West and end up being the highest rated group of five team at the end of the season. I'm very high on Air Force this year. Number nine, Minnesota 
Well, because we're going to have two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff, now we dip down to team number three in the Big Ten for the Rose Bowl bid, and that will be Minnesota. By winning the West, Minnesota will will end the longest Rose Bowl drought among charter Big Ten members and be invited to Pasadena for the first time since 1962. That's 60 years ago. Number 10, Nebraska, after losing four games in a season only once between 1969 and 2001, Nebraska will lose at least four games. I just can't even believe this stat. For the 19th consecutive season. That's just, I'd love to go back and tell my 1995 self watching Tommy Frazier, you're going to live to see Nebraska lose at least four games in a season 19 years in a row. That's nuts. But, but I do believe that Scott Frost will win enough games this year to save his job at Nebraska. Number 11, Auburn will lose at least four games for the 15th time in the last 17 years. Oh, by the way, the other two times they didn't lose at least four games, they won a national championship or played for one. So there you go, all right? Uh, And they will fire Coach Brian Harson as a result, and he will be replaced by Liberty's Hugh Freeze. Gird your loins. The guy that knows how to beat Alabama, he did it twice in a row at Ole Miss. Auburn brings him in. There Enough time has elapsed. He has done his penance there at Liberty University, and Hugh Freeze returns to the SEC. Number 12, speaking of the SEC, Mike Leach will lead Mississippi State to just its third top 15 finish in the final AP poll since 1981 I think they will have Will Rogers will have a monster year I think they give Georgia its only loss of the regular season and it's a bit of a renaissance season for the cowbells so you'll have more cowbell see what I did there never mind number 13 both Vanderbilt and Duke will fail to win a single conference game this season good luck fellas next Number 14, NC State will have just its second double-digit win season in school history and finish in the top 10 of the AP poll for the first time ever. They've never done it. The Wolfpack have never done it as a program. They accomplished that this year. Number 15, perhaps no player will raise their NFL draft status more than Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee. He will set the Cardinals' season season pass or season passing record ahead of Elway, Andrew Luck, so many other Jim Plunkett guys who won Heisman's, guys who went on to great NFL careers because they're going to be terrible on defense. They're going to need to throw the ball all over the field. They return that kind of an offense. Former five star, I think he'll be a guy that come April we're going to see his stock very high in the NFL draft compared to what we're thinking right now here in July. Number 16, Troy linebacker Carlton Marshall will set the all-time college football career record for tackles. He needs 104 more. So that's that's something to take note of in terms of setting a record here at some point this year. Number 17, for the first time ever, Wisconsin will fail to make the Big Ten championship game for a third consecutive season. That hasn't happened to the Badgers since the Big Ten went to divisions. So there you go. Number 18, the the Heisman Trophy finalists will be in alphabetical order. Will Anderson at Alabama, this year's Aiden Hutchinson. Travion Henderson at Ohio State. C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. Bryce Young at Alabama. That's right. All four guys in New York for the ceremony will all come from the same two teams, just like I think the same two leagues are who makes up for the playoff field. 
Number 19, Bryce Young will become the first two-time winner of the Heisman Trophy since Archie Griffin did it exactly 50 years ago. Well, 48 years ago to be specific. Next, number 20. Here will be the results of the top five September non-conference games. They will be. I think Ohio State beats Notre Dame. I think the Buckeyes will simply overwhelm former player and uh, turn fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman in his first game and immediately claim the number one uh, ranking in the country. Next, I think Alabama beats Texas, but I think there'll be a lot of points here. The Longhorns have an impressive array of skill talent to challenge Alabama at least a little bit, particularly in the uh, September Texas heat. Next, Texas A&M, I think, beats Miami. Now, I went back and forth on this one because I think the U will be physically and mentally tougher under Mario Cristobal, but I'm, and they're going to have the better quarterback in this game with Tyler Van Dyke, but I'll go with the superior overall roster playing at home, barely. I like Georgia over Oregon. I think uh, Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning uh, gets a bit of a reality check against his old team, the defending national champions, in his first game at the helm as the head coach of the Ducks. And I like Nebraska to upset Oklahoma. There is a lot riding on this one for Scott Frost. He is still searching for that signature win that could springboard the program. And remember, the Huskers played their tails off last year in Norman. All right, number 19. Iowa. Pittsburgh and Wake Forest will start the season ranked in the AP top 25, but these three teams will not finish there. However, number 22, Central Florida, Air Force, and Mississippi State won't start the season in the AP top 25, but will each finish there. Number 23, the following first-year coaches will lead their teams to bowl games this season. The aforementioned Mario Cristobal at Miami, Kalen DeBoer at Washington, which I think is a sneaky good hire, Michael DeSormo at Louisiana taking over Billy Napier, Sonny Dykes at TCU, Tony Elliott at Virginia, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly at LSU, Dan Lanning at Oregon, Rhett Lashley, who took over for Sonny Dykes at SMU, Billy Napier now at Florida, Lincoln Riley at USC, Jeff Tedford is back at Fresno State, and Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Those four are those first-year coaches, I think, all are in the postseason this December and January. Number 24, liquidate these teams that I think will win at least two fewer games than they did last year. In alphabetical order, Arizona State, Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, Michigan State, Nevada, Pittsburgh, San Diego State, Utah State, University of Texas, San Antonio, and Wyoming. I think all of those schools will win at least two fewer games than they did last year. And then finally, number 25, invest in these teams that I think will win at least two more games than they did in 2021. That's Miami, Mississippi State, Nebraska, North Carolina, Stanford, Texas, Toledo, USC, and Washington. I think those teams will be amongst the most improved in the country. So there you have it. That's my crystal ball of the upcoming season. Let's find out. Let's find out what is worthy of being drug tested next when we talk to Mark Rogers right after this. Well, we're always looking forward to this segment, but particularly with this episode, let's get some reaction from perhaps the one and only reasonable buck not alive, our good friend Mark Rogers, who, of course, by now you know, 
He himself has a fantastic channel right here on YouTube as well, the voice of college football. So, Mark, welcome back here to the 10-Minute War, and you've had an opportunity to review what's kind of been the linchpin of my college football preview going back to when I was in the 10th grade. And that is my crystal ball predictions of the top 25 things I think will or won't happen uh, within the next forthcoming college football season. The floor is now yours on what stands out to you, what you think is certifiably insane, or perhaps both. (laughs) Well, what stands out to me first and foremost, Steve, is always uh, how much on one hand we think alike carbon copies at times, but then how differently we think on other levels. The other would be that I get sick typically of reading this kind of stuff because it's either outrageous, ridiculous, has no foundation of any reason, or it's cliched and it's it's utterly predictable by anybody. Mm-hmm. So I love what you're doing here. I love the next level thought and uh, just the diversity of of where you took this on a number of levels. So uh, your your prediction about uh, the Big Ten and the SEC making up the entire field, obviously the odds, uh, the other the other um, the other the other benefit I are are a you know complimentary portion to this would be you, you know you're obviously the stock the odds are stacked against you in a lot of these but you're taking a reasonable measured approach so the the odds are stacked against you in terms of a big 10 sec you're counting out clemson to a certain extent but a balance the big 12 and an inferior pac 12 is probably giving you a, a a better shot at this than in any time during the playoff era so i can see it happening but again i think the odds are against you if we skip down to so you've got three conference championship games with new head coaches, first year head coaches at those schools. Mm -hmm. So that seems to me that that's pretty obvious to be Riley, Riley and or Lanning in the PAC 12 to be Venables in the big 12 and to be crystal ball in the ACC. Correct. And and it's Lanning is who I think will make it in the PAC 12 Lanning over Riley. Okay. Yes. All right. So interesting there. All right. So Clemson, and um, so I'm trying to think your your number five selection here. What was that in regards to? Oh, Oklahoma is going to be in the conference championship. Is going to win the Big Twelve, uh, which which is going against a lot of of thought there. Um, the offense at Oklahoma is going to be probably not nearly as good as anything we've seen in in a long long time there. Uh, the Clemson arrow up really because I giving- think they're going to have the best quarterback in the conference. Probably. So I think there's a debate between he and JT Daniels. Sure. But, uh, I can go along with that. Yeah. Um, so your your Clemson prediction in your fifth selection there as well, uh, that all rests on not just DJ Uyangalele, but uh, the entire offense just being something close to what it was between 2012 and just a couple seasons ago. It's just remarkable to me that it, I, I a guy, DJ, throwing for 300, 400-yard games against Boston College and Notre Dame and showing us that level of performance. Never eclipsed 250 yards last season, even against UConn. He threw for 47% right, against, right. against Utah. So he's he's a wild-card factor in all of this nationally. Um, See, I don't, think he'll, to, I, don't, I don't think he'll be the starting quarterback at midseason. Yeah, so that's the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence uh, – yeah. Kate, is it Kate? I think it's Kate Klubnick. I think they will make the switch to him 
in the middle of the season. Remember, as as stale and petrified as the Clemson offense was last year, it was really one fourth quarter against NC State away from probably winning the ACC last year, or at the very least being in the ACC championship game. Right? That I mean, this this yeah, was still a team that is. went ten and three last year, and and I actually think the best unit in all of college football is the where there's the most distance between them and the next best unit is Clemson's defensive front. I can make a case that it's it's the the entire all ACC team which people will see tomorrow when when we take Bigger 10 and we get into my conference predictions. I could make a case the entire all ACC defensive line is Clemson's. I think the I think the distance between them and the next best unit is probably the biggest chasm between any particular unit and the next best unit in all of college football this year. And other than quarterback, the issue that's uh, the, the position group that sets everybody apart from everybody else in this league or in this sport is the, is the defensive line. And so they're absolutely stacked there. I just, I also think though, offensive inconsistency will cost them a couple of games that, and, um, and I think with Ohio state and Michigan, both undefeated going into that game. And if Ohio state loses, as I forecast, they have a non-conference win over Notre Dame, Clemson, in my forecast, loses to Notre Dame. Ohio State would have played a lot tougher conference schedule than Clemson would have played up until that point as well. And so that's why I have the all Big Ten SEC final and Clemson finishes number five. Um, and, and if anything, I think the bigger question would be, what, what about Clemson and Georgia for the, for the final spot there? But in Georgia's case, they'd have a non-conference win over Oregon which in my projection, you know, ends up playing for the Pac-12 championship. And so I think this gets down to a strength of schedule component that works against Clemson. And, and I mean, I, I go through this and analyze it like that, that in-depth as if I was on the playoff committee and what I think they will do based on past precedent and things of that nature. So that's how I came to that conclusion. Now, this could all get settled by Michigan loses to somebody else and then loses to Ohio State, and then we're not having that conversation because I I think the combination of Michigan's schedule with the overall personnel of, of, and the recruiting prowess of the other three programs uh, in Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia, I, I think their path to the playoff and, and their percentages of making it are way higher, demonstrably higher than everybody else's. And and if you get, if you look at the rest of the top 25, I mean, I don't even know how many candidates there are for number five right now. I I, I mean, I, I have NC State as a top 10 team. Uh, this is this is pretty, we can call it parody, pretty watered down, but it's pretty watered down. I, I'm I'm not sure what the difference is between team five and six, and take away Michigan's schedule, throw them in team that so that, that them in team 21, 23, 28. I don't know how much of a difference there is. Michigan just has such an ex, has the most favorable schedule I can ever remember Michigan having as a Michigan fan. As as sure. favorable of a schedule as Michigan can have in a year that it has to play Ohio State and Columbus. You can't have a more favorable schedule in that kind of year. In these modern times, obviously in the old era of the Big Two and the Little Eight when they just destroyed everybody, that was a different era, right? But in, in this modern era, Michigan could not ask for a more favorable schedule. I'm going to tell you right now that Iowa game won't be at night. They're going to play that at 11 a.m. That will be the big noon Sunday game that week. Look at the Big Ten slate that week. 
They're not going to put Indiana Northwestern on at noon. Fox is going to pick Michigan and Iowa. They'll, so they'll dodge the same bullet that they dodged in Madtown last year. They didn't have to play Wisconsin at night. Got to play them at a sleepy 11 a.m. local. They'll play Iowa at a sleepy 11 a.m. local. And that's by far Michigan's toughest road game before they, you know, long before they even get to Columbus. So it's a very favorable schedule for the Wolverines. And Ohio State's dodging the same going to Happy Valley against Penn State. Correct. That won't be right. a night whiteout. Um, so this goes from broad to you start to narrow it down and really grind it down. This this number seven selection with with this Ryan Day leaves Ohio State after the season, goes to Kansas City Chiefs, takes over for a retiring Andy Reid. I can't really touch that in any such way. If that happens, I will just tip my cap because to foresee that – Again, the odds are stacked against you, but it's reasonable. It could happen, absolutely. I think you're, this is the brilliance of what you're doing right here are these type of selections right here. So I got nothing for you there. Uh, I'm going to jump down to Minnesota, number nine. And you have, nothing, you have no issue with, with Luke Fickle taking over? That just seems so automatic that it probably wouldn't even be a debatable point. Well, that part of it, yes. I think once you get the first two to, to play out, Reed retires, Day takes over, I think Fickle's the obvious candidate. So if you can get the first two to line up, then then you have completed okay. the, the hat trick. Okay. Absolutely there. Uh, Minnesota to the Rose Bowl. So my question here, so I, I, I'm right in line with you that we've got a veteran quarterback in Tanner Morgan, brings back the offensive coordinator in which he was most successful under Kirk Sharaka from Penn State through 30 touchdowns a couple of years ago. Uh, they had a massive offensive line last year. They've lost everybody except for their all Big Ten center. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can see it on both sides. But then I went to the schedule and I'm looking at the Eastern trips to Michigan State and Penn State, whereas Purdue really has some scheduling advantages. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be difficult for Minnesota. It's funny you mentioned that. So, so I went back and forth between Minnesota and Purdue until literally five minutes for weeks, I went back and forth on this until literally five minutes before I hit send. And there have been uh, there have, there have been published versions of this that had both these scenarios with Purdue and Minnesota. With Purdue, um, uh, they have the same schedule advantage that Minnesota has. In that, if you look at the history of the West Division since we have gone to this alignment in 2014, I think it was. Or 2013, 2014. 14. Since we've gone to this alignment in our league, the the Big Ten West champion every year, I believe, but one. One time Wisconsin won the division. I think it was 2016, actually. That's the only time that a team has won this division that avoided two of the three, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. And the only reason that Wisconsin played all three of them that year is they played Penn State in the Big Ten championship. Okay? So all, every I think it's every other year, but that year – the champion of the West Division did not have to play two of the three. Wisconsin, so that's Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. Um, with those, those, two, those two teams in this division this year are Purdue and Minnesota. And Purdue gets Penn State at home and then dodges Michigan and Ohio State. And they get Penn State week one, right? So the perfect time to have to play them probably. The, and I love the way that Purdue overcame the – people forget they won that bowl game last year because everybody – all these magazines are talking about Purdue doesn't have Carl Loftus, who was basically the anchor of their defense for two years, and David Bell, who anchored their receiving core for two years. Well, they didn't have those guys at the in the bowl game against Tennessee. That was basically a road game. 
Tennessee absolutely went all out to win that game. They had neither one of those guys, and they they did absolutely fine. So I thought long and hard, long and hard about this. And this is how I ultimately settled on Minnesota. They have the most fifth-year senior roster points in our league. And I, I think P.J. Fleck is an underrated coach. I think that we forget how good of a coach he is because of the whole, as I like to call it, Pentecostal youth minister shtick. And, <laughs> and, I, and, and I think people use that as an excuse to not take him seriously as a coach when he's a damn good coach. And so the final nudge was, okay, I'm going to go with the team loaded with all these guys, virtually every guy other than Daniel Falele that could have come back for this Minnesota team did, right? And, I, you know, I, I kind of saw what happened at Michigan last year when Aiden came back and a couple other guys came back and said, you know what, man, we can't end like this. Now, Minnesota had a much better season than Michigan had the prior year. But that, and I mean it was a skosh, that, that has been written. Purdue would make its second Rose Bowl only since 1967, or Minnesota would make its first one since 1962. I went back and forth on, on that one the entire time I was writing this preview, and then I just decided to err on the side of the fifth-year seniors. But, man, it's, it was by literally a, a coin flip. So, Steve, what I can agree with here, and I'm not discounting Minnesota in the prediction, I'm just questioning it to a certain extent, just bringing up the Purdue schedule, is that I think too many prognosticators look at schedules first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I'm more of a believer in in talent and coaching being 1A and 1B. That's why I start my preview, Mark, with with the roster uh, assessments and the coaching hot board. That's why I start it with those two things. And then I apply those things to the schedule. I do not apply the schedule to those things. I do it the other way around. Yeah. Absolutely. And by the way, Purdue is at Minnesota, by the way. They play in Minneapolis this year, too. So Where where, uh, Minnesota lost to Illinois in Bowling Green last year. I know. And still won (laughs) nine games. Yes. Still and, and and still beat Wisconsin. Yeah, I know. I know. Speaking of winning uh, nine games here, Mike Leach and Mississippi State. So I don't know that a whole lot of people know this, but just imagine in today's college football, and when I say today, I just mean in the very recent moment, talk about Texas Tech. Like, does anybody look at Texas Tech like a top 25 program, right. like a top 25 team? Right. Mike Leach finished in the top 25 at Texas Tech five of his last six seasons. They were like a mainstay in the top 25. So he's a very good coach. He won 11 games at Washington State just a few years ago, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Absolutely, he did. If he didn't have a bugaboo against Washington, he would have went to a couple Rose Bowls. Mm -hmm. Um, So they have an automatic, almost automatic, and I say this for a team that lost to Memphis last year and plays them again, but basically a 4-0 non-conference slate. But the East is a difficult... um, matchup for them with Georgia and Kentucky. So that's to be taken into consideration in addition to playing in the best division in college football. So I, I find that to be intriguing. And as we drop, I have that being Georgia's one regular season loss is at Cowbell. Yep. And it's like right in the middle of like when they're playing Auburn and Florida, right? You know, they're two traditional rivals. They then go on the road to Starkville. And I have that being Georgia's only regular season loss this year. And here's the other reason why. I learned this the hard way, and I maybe should have seen this because when I was analyzing the Big Ten Championship game with Michigan and Iowa, I'm like, Iowa plays the exact same way we play, and we just recruit a lot better players. I don't know how that match works. Well, 
Then we went up against Georgia, who plays exactly the way we play and recruits better players. So we saw a similar result. Mississippi State's going to give Georgia something to look at. It will not see virtually the entire season. Uh, and with that quick strike, dink and dunk, air raid. And I, I do think coming at them, and given how young I think that off that defense will be this year, coming at them with something different, and this is just Mike Leach, man. I mean, he's just, you know, he's a crazy old pirate. I don't see Georgia. Georgia couldn't run the table last year with a historically great defense, with with arguably the most NFL-talented uh, draft team of modern history. They couldn't run the table last year, so I don't think they'll run the table this year either. To your point, Steve, last season, Will Rogers picked apart a Kentucky defense, and I know that there's a talent gap between Georgia mm-hmm. and Kentucky, but stylistically on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, Kentucky and Georgia, similar in that Kentucky team, went 10-3, and three, finished in the top 15. 36 of 39, Will Rogers against Kentucky last year. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not too bad. Um, so I'm intrigued by Mississippi State. I don't think they quite get there. So as we drop down, and I'm going to pass through that Heisman talk because – People ask me about Heisman Trophy candidates and winners like they do. Yeah, all my Heisman finalists are from two teams. (laughs) I see that. I hate to predict what other people are going to vote on. So so that's why I try not to delve into that, Uh, especially a lot of people that I consider to be unqualified to make those (laughs) selections. But, yeah, it would be historic, of course. Will Anderson has a lot to live up to, and I'm not saying that he won't. But will he statistically, you know, it's a difficult, uh, more difficult position to measure. And Mm -hmm. he just was ridiculous off the charts, tackles for losses and sacks last season. But I'm going to dip down to your 24 slash 25 in terms of who's going to ascend, who's going to decline. I think you've got it spot on. But again, I'm going to raise Mississippi State based on the schedule. They did go seven and five last year. So you've got at least a nine and three mm-hmm. Mississippi State team this year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's stretching it just a bit. But I'm I'm lockstep with the rest of those selections. All right, man. So anything you're like, you should be drug tested for this one. Well, I, I think your scenario with Ryan Day and the Kansas City Chiefs, again, you've got to have two things fall into place that are not unreasonable, but they're against the odds considerably that both of those happen. And then, of course, Luke Fickle takes the job. That would be a 95% certainty after that or be offered and accept the job. Well, you've got Andy Reid, who's out there, I think, with uh, no hips and no knees waddling around, pushing 65. He's already got his ring. I don't think he's long for this much longer. And uh, to me, this is, and just to be fair, you know, for you bucknuts that are watching, one of my predictions last year is this was this would be Jim Harbaugh's last season. Now, I thought it would be likely because they wouldn't win enough games. But I remember I also told you that I thought if they did have a breakthrough year, I could see him try to bolt right then when his stock was really high. And, well, he did. Okay. He just couldn't get the gig. But in Day's case, I don't know that he's a guy that is is, desi- is is because of also the NFL type of job he has at Ohio State. I don't think that there are the administrative pressures that Jim is frustrated by consistently at Michigan, uh, particularly right now with the NIL stuff. And so you've even got one of his close confidants, uh, an attorney named Todd Anson, is actually sounding off about the athletic department uh, on Twitter as basically a proxy for Jim. But in this case, the opportunity to coach a Pat Mahomes who's under contract for essentially the entire tenure that you would coach there, you know, 
you would have a guy in his prime who's a first ballot Hall of Famer and could end up putting together, you know, a top four or five QB resume all time. And you get to walk into that gig as an offensive innovator in a part of the country you're already kind of familiar with and a league you're already familiar with, and you walk in with a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't know. I think that'd be kind of hard for a lot of people to say no to. I think a lot of people would like to get that call. Oh, that's not my question in that three-part series that you uh, lay out there that uh, Day would take the job. My first inclination is he ready for that job. But then my second thought is, well, if I look at head coaching hires in the NFL over the past couple decades. Right. Who are they? They're all guys that are young. Yeah, they're all trying to hire the the next the guy at the Rams, they're all Sean McVay. They're all, everybody's trying to hire the next version of him. And so they're all young offensive innovators. Well, what's, what's Ryan day that that's what he is. Yeah. All right, man. Good stuff as always. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks Steve. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. This week's Twitter poll results. We asked you, which game do you think Michigan needs to be on upset alert for this fall? I picked the three games I thought were most likely to be upsets. And not surprisingly, I mean, Jim Harbaugh has never won a game in Iowa City as a player or coach at Michigan, ever. So it's not surprising that that is the overwhelming favorite uh, for upset alert. I just, isn't an upset alert, though, if you're here for nine months before the game, that you should be on upset alert, right? I mean, so I actually, I I would have voted for Nebraska. Why? Because it's the game I'm going to this year. And I have a decidedly mixed record going to Michigan games. So that would have been my vote. All right, let's get to this week's feedback of the week. Jamal Green says, what's going on with Michigan right now and the NIL, where, which we talked about on last week's episode, where, where Michigan right now could exploit the fact that may have the largest combined wealthiest alumni base in the sport. And it could just be using that, exploiting that to recruit monster classes. And Michigan is self-limiting, deciding not to do so for some higher principle that does not exist. Jamal Green writes, you're right, Steve, that's a straight joke. And yet they want fans to pay top dollar to watch an inferior product out on the field if they keep up with this. Please make it make sense, Steve, please. I, I can't make it make sense. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make dollars and cents for damn sure. But it makes it makes absolutely no sense. Now, Michigan is about to hire a new school president. Chris Ballas over at the Wolverine mentioned a couple of uh, individuals that they were hearing were in line to get that gig. Both of them are very athletics and NIL friendly. So, and one of them, you know, from the University of Miami, they have one of, I guess we'll call them um, most successful um, NIL programs going on right now. So anything would be enough, literally anything, um, anything. Yeah, I was going to pause and think of, well, that wouldn't be. Anything short of let's put ourselves on the death penalty would be an athletics upgrade over Mark Schlissel. Anything would be. So him being gone is inherently an upgrade. So we're just debating how much of an upgrade there is to go for Michigan to finally get its head out of its keister and take advantage of a system that it seems as if it was almost singularly devised for schools like Michigan to successfully exploit. So I'm, I feel your pain, Jamal. I got you back, bro. Believe me. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. We're going to be off here. We'll see you again in two weeks. After Big Ten Media Days, we'll break everything down that Jim Harbaugh and players had to say in Indianapolis. 
So enjoy this episode until then. In the meantime, please remember to like, rate, share, subscribe, follow, whether it's right here on iTunes or YouTube. If you're watching us, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, help us to find more Maze and Blue fans just like you. Special shout out to all the buck nuts in the comment section, losing your damn mind on my Ryan Day prediction. Thank you. Your clicks count just the same as the, t- as the ones from the Maze and Blue. So we appreciate you. Yeah, maybe even more so. All right. So thank you for all of that. Uh, please also follow us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast. In between episodes, you'll keep up to date on what we think about all things going on with the maize and blue. Until then, I'm Steve Dace. Go blue. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.